don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to this channel if you haven't already. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gate Expectations Yu-Gi-Oh! Podcast. Welcome everybody to the Gate Expectations Podcast, where I bring in a weekly guest, talk all things Yu-Gi-Oh! and get to know a little more about each person I talk to. It's the only Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast that is run by a full-fledged journalist such as myself. This is episode 40. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can check out an earlier podcast with guests like Crush Cards, Ruggles, Yasin, Pack, Distant Coder, and many more. My guest for this week is one of North America's renowned judges and has been a writer for TCG Player and for Konami event coverage. It's Joe Frankino. Joe, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me, David. Hey, absolutely. Uh, great to have you on. And, you know, I've had a lot of guests, but I haven't actually had one yet that uh, is really heavily on, like, the judging side of things outside of Distant Coder, but he's more on Dueling Book. You're actually more, like, heavily involved with Konami. I know you've had judged events before, and you've done some coverage. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're, uh, you're like a big-time name, at least uh, in the judging world, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, I guess you could say that. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, why don't you just kind of walk me through on... Uh, why you decided to get into like the judging aspect of Yu-Gi-Oh! Okay, so we have to go all the way back to near about where I started playing, which was in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, I started playing around then, and then there was just a couple locals on Long Island, and um, and I played, you know, at the various ones that were around me, which was all good. Um, eventually, like one local, like sort of rose up above all the other ones. And because it was a it was a store with a nice space. Um, it's uh, Brothers Grimm, which is in Selda and still there. Mm-hmm. And I still go there from time to time when, um, you know, when I'm picking up product. So um, about 2007, uh, there were two judges there that ran the tournament, the, ran the weekly tournament. Mm-hmm. And um, our player base started getting like more towards the competitive end like we were like keeping up on the newest cards keeping up on the latest trends we were going to regional qualifiers sgc's uh, shonen jump championships and um these judges were not and you know it's not their fault they're you know like new fathers they like they, they had other stuff going on they just enjoyed Yu-Gi-Oh, and they were also at the card store at the same time so um our player base which was like sort of like a like a group of friends really um they're like uh like these judges are okay but like they're like they're not gonna like you know they keep getting calls wrong they're they're not really attentive to the tournament like we need like actual judges and i was the oldest of our group and i seemed responsible enough so like joe you would we'd like you to judge so i'm like okay yeah sure, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll judge that's fine because yeah. yeah. you know i want there to be a place where we could all play and if i could be you know a part of you know making that happen then that's that's good so um i started helping in judging the local and then eventually just turned into me judging the local and the other two guys sort of just left the scene we haven't seen them in a bit and you know that's just part of life like you just interests just go away and you know that happens mm-hmm. so um me running a local for um for one you know one day out of the week and there was another judge that ran it on another day of the week so i was running it on tuesday somebody else running on saturdays um for about i want to say like a year or two (laughs) so 
we're getting into like 2008 and I'm like, all right, like I, I passed my level one test. I think I could start going for the level two test. And then in late 2008, um, Upper Deck sort of just lost organized play for some yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah. I remember that big fold. Oh, yeah. boy. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was a lot going on during that time. And I remember mm-hmm. they were trying to we, – we had that event called uh, Upper Deck Day, if you recall. Yep. Where we they were starting to like pretty much give away like pri- like SJC prize cards away at those big events. It mm-hmm. was almost like a glorified regional in a sense, I would say, or like, yeah. like a or like mm-hmm. a mini SJC depending on like wherever your location was uh, at the time. But they were just giving away product like crazy. I remember mm-hmm. I topped eight at one of them. I got like two boxes worth of like between like two three different sets, which mm-hmm. was like incredible. And they were pushing like Huntnik out because they were like, okay, if we're gonna lose Yu Gi Oh now. Let's just throw out Huntnik and try to throw it a new mm-hmm. TCG out, which didn't work by the way. I, mm-hmm that like like nope. a couple months after it happened and whatnot mm-hmm. but that was a really crazy time yeah Just throw, throwing that out for anyone who didn't know about like the yeah the, the, the few that upper deck had with konami during the time about the kind of cards yes so uh the upper deck day was actually my first um real quote-unquote event so <laughs> wow yeah i mean like besides a local so like for yeah. the for the um upper deck day that ran at our uh local is actually run from uh run primarily by the premier tournament organizer for new york city who's uh alex schwartzman who's um the owner of king's games so it's a that's a pretty big name in new york city yep you if you're in that area you just know what king's games is um so um that was my first real quote-unquote event and um and then once Konami took over organized play, I was like, okay, um, if all the judges are now on even footing, I can see, like, <laughs> I can, I can like judge at a regional, or whatever. But at the same time, I also kind of wanted to play at a regional because they had to run a year's worth of regionals in three months. So if you were playing at regionals, it was really super easy to get your invite compared to how it was before, where before it was uh, top four invites passed down. Now it's just then it turned into top 32 straight cut. Like mm-hmm. I was like, wow, it's really easy to get your invite. And then I didn't get my invite because I'm not good at this game. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're the first person that ever admitted that on my podcast to be yeah. not good at the game. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll try all the time, right? But like, yeah. like I the results are there, or rather the results aren't there. Like, I can't brag about what I don't do like yeah. it's, it's what it is. So, um, so um, Nats rolls around, and by the way, it was still called a national championship at the time. So I'm not like you know, I'm not being like, oh, he's using the word Nats when he's supposed to be using WCQ. It wasn't a WCQ at the time. It yeah. actually was a Nats. So um, friends and I took the trip to Pittsburgh, which is where uh, the national championship was at the time. I tried to get into. Um, a last chance qualifier i tried three different times and it didn't happen and mm-hmm. it's whatever so this is where um i first meet um julia hedberg who is the uh judge manager for konami digital entertainment um so i'm going like through the uh through the vendor tables and i see alex from king's games and you know we're just talking whatever and uh, he asks, why aren't you judging? And I'm like, oh, um, I didn't apply. And he's like, oh, well, they need judges. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, just go to Julia and just, you know, introduce yourself and uh, and see if they need judges. I'm like, oh, okay. Now, mind you, 
I'm nervous as hell because I, <laughs> I am an introvert. I do not do well with cold introductions. So mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, well, I, I guess I'm going to go talk to Julia because again, like Julia was a big name at that point, even back then, because she wrote for metagames. She worked for Upper Deck at the time. And then, yep. and then she eventually got picked up by Konami. So she's been a figure for Yu-Gi-Oh since I want to say since the beginning. So yeah, I, I for God knows how long. At least as far as I play this game, and I think I started. I started around two thousand four, and I think her name was pretty synonymous around then too. So she's mm-hmm. been like a giant figurehead for mm-hmm. this game, like since it's practically its inception. By the yeah, way. yeah, yeah. So eventually, I will. I go up to Julie. I'm like, hi. Um, I spoke to Alex from King's Games, and he said you guys need judges. And she very politely said, oh no, we're fine with judges. So I'm like, oh right, cool, cool, thanks. And I, I thought nothing of it at the time. Just like, all right, well, you know. I asked, and that was it. Um, so keep that in mind going forward. So um, played in public events for the rest of the weekend. Didn't didn't go well, mm-hmm. but but it's fine because it's Nats. Like you're you're there to see your friends. You're there to enjoy the the weekend. So it was fine. And also the dual terminal was there, and that was like one of the very first events the dual terminal was at. So mm-hmm. um, I picked myself up a play set of uh, Harpy Lady Ones in uh in dual terminal and i still have them to this day and that nice. is super cool so now um we jump forward a bit um over the next year i start you know judging regionals especially for alex and even for brothers grim because they also got to apply and they also ran some regionals all around so like our store gets name recognition because we're running regionals and we're in long island and long island has like the last time long island had a regional before that was like like my first event as a player in 2006. Oh, so big like, gap. Yeah. Very big gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm like, cool, I'm judging regionals. Maybe I can judge an SJC. So the first SJC that I applied to was also the first SJC that I um, got accepted to and the first one that I actually judged at, which was the 75th Shonen Jump Championship <laughs> at, at Edison, New Jersey. So you happen to get the largest one to date when it happened because that was that was like a milestone event mm-hmm. i was at that one and it was completely that was event was completely crazy yeah I, oh. yeah so um for those who were not aware um everything that could have gone wrong at an event happened at that event so um i didn't get my judge shirt at that event because the palette that had the judge shirts didn't arrive um there were a lot of tournament supplies that also didn't make it to the venue and you had a lot of very inexperienced and green judges myself included on a on a judge staff that needed like that was trying to field a um a field of over 2,000 players which was unheard of at the time yeah so um you know day one ended at like 1 a.m 2 a.m somewhere around there I don't remember. I forgot. It, it, uh, it, was, it was really long. And it went late into the night because I remember staying yep. there for majority of the majority of the day. I think I maybe left around mm-hmm. like midnight just because I was okay. I'm starving. I didn't have mm-hmm. any food in me at that point in time. So I can only imagine how bad for the judges it was, was because I know that typically judges get like one round off for a break and that was it. But that day in particular was just it just dragged on and on and on and I, I, mm-hmm. it was a, it was a fun event no nonetheless, but. It yeah. was just long as hell just because of the sheer numbers that were there. Yeah. So the judges um, got maybe six hours or five hours of sleep. 
and oh, then we had and we had to be um in the venue at 8 30 so we had mm -hmm. to be effectively there at um really like so if i remember correctly it was 8 45 doors open for players which means we had to be there at probably eight like we had to be like ready to go at 8 30 which means we probably had to be in the venue at eight o'clock if i'm remembering yep. things correctly so mm -hmm. you know do the math um you have to get up shower have breakfast which means you're probably up at like 6 30 or 7 so how much sleep did you actually get and also yep. it's an event weekend how much sleep were you getting in the first place like, exactly that out. yeah i don't think anybody really gets like enough sleep for these kind of kinds of events like oh, yeah. God, so much sleep is sacrificed for these events i know, I know. yeah speaking on first-hand experience yeah so day two always goes better than than day spoiler for anybody day two always goes better than day one if if you're ever judging like it's just yeah. yes like get through day one and then day two is the easy one always so event drops and you know it was an experience and it was my first experience and somehow i decided let's keep doing this <laughs> so the next event i applied to was the 2010 wcq which was in minneapolis and um and that event went way better even though it was a wcq even though it was the most important tournament of the year it went way better because as it turns out if you can survive edison you can survive anything yeah, and not to mention that one was uh, it kind of excluded the the Canadian population because mm -hmm. that was the last one where before uh, they combined both the the Canadians and the Americans together into yep. one uh, WCQ. Mm -hmm. So a little bit less because I know there's a ton of Canadians from mm -hmm. from at least my area in the surrounding area that went to Edison, New Jersey because that's also a very reasonable drive. Roughly about like eight to ten hours in between from like mm -hmm. a majority of, like the Canadian spots, was mm -hmm. supposed to Minneapolis. Uh, completely different as far as like where a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh's populated. So definitely a lot less for uh, on your your plate for sure for that tournament. Yeah, yeah. So um, the next event that I applied to was uh, YCS Philadelphia, which was in the fall of that year. Mm -hmm. So um, important to know um, when I applied to that, I wasn't expecting anything. Um, I was made an assistant floor lead for that event now i want you to keep in mind that was my third event yeah so obviously somebody saw something or somebody was or so or somebody saw something it's like mm -hmm. oh maybe this guy like has potential or whatever and mm -hmm. on the third event they made me an assistant teammate so i'm like all right, all right that's that's cool let's just do the thing and we'll, we'll be good with it yeah now i just to put it out there i don't think that my judging experience is typical. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think people become assistant team leads three events in. We, like, yeah, that's yeah. pretty huge. Yeah. So, like, if you have it, you have it, but do not expect what I just said to be the norm for it because I do not expect that at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's kind of like walk through some of the the roles that are at uh, the, these high profile events because I've because mm -hmm. I too have like I've head judged regionals before and I've also done like shown jump championships and YCS as well. So let's let's kind of walk through these. Like let's start with like the floor lead. These are the judges that are these are out like calling the taking the rulings for other people. They're handing out uh, like the collect deck list. They'll hand out uh, match slips. Uh, you know, all, right. all of, like anything that requires actually going to the tables and. Mm -hmm. you know, 
uh, interacting with the players in whatever fashion that they need to. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I actively judge, and I do want to say that when I actively judge, because the last uh, event that I that I was on staff for was in 2018, and that was in Niagara Falls. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know if they still do it this way, and mm-hmm. I obviously don't know how they do it for remote dual events, mm-hmm. but I can tell you how it was when I was doing it. Yeah, go so, ahead. Yeah, so um, when I was judging primarily, um, judges were split up into teams that each had a different function. Mm-hmm. So um, the floor teams, which there were typically two, sometimes three, depending on how large your event was, um, were primarily responsible for um, being on the floor during a round. Um, each individual judge would be assigned a specific section of the floor. So like you'd have like tables, let's say one through 50 or 51 through a hundred or whatever it broke down to. Mm-hmm. It's usually not that neat because usually the tables don't split like that. But just as an example, you get some amount of table space that is mm-hmm. yours. So you have to stay in that area and you are responsible for that area. So you would um, answer judge calls from anybody in that area, or if another judge has to go and take some, like do something else and is away from their zone for a bit, they'll let you know. And you should also uh, look at their zone while they're away until they come back. Mm-hmm. So you would answer judge calls. Um, you would put in appeals if any players appeal you. Um, and then when everything is done, you want to make sure that the um, that the tables, like the, the chairs are all nice and everything, that the uh, the tablecloth is all like neat and everything. Make sure it's, you know, presentable because there are some people that, you know, like to see that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's also one of our responsibilities to like pick up any garbage that's there and mm-hmm. throw it in the trash. And I've also had cases where, if there's been like an influx of judge calls happening at someone else's zone and I don't have, and I wouldn't have any in my zone, I would like come over and at least like help out a little bit, like mm-hmm. help some of that traffic in case there wasn't anything on mine. Uh, yep. Also a couple other things that maybe, maybe we missed, but the, I, those are some things that at least I would have to do when on the events that I've judged. Yep. Yep. That's absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's primarily the floor. Um, so you have another team, which is the deck team. The deck mm-hmm. team you usually won't see on the floor unless they are actively doing a deck check or on their way back from one. So the deck team is primarily responsible for doing deck checks during the tournament and for maintaining the uh, large collection of deck lists that are collected from the event. Mm-hmm. Um, deck checks are typically done uh during a like during at the start of the round or sometimes uh in the middle of a round um between games and all those are done in the back so you usually will not see uh deck team judges on the floor unless they're coming back from one or going to one Mm -hmm. and um i don't know if they still exist in the same form but another judge team is the paper team which is primarily responsible for um hanging up the paper pairings on the walls and Mm -hmm. distributing match result slips at the start of the round and um the reason why i say i don't know if it were is if it's in that same form because i think at this point uh paper team is effectively just two judges and just the entire floor team is responsible for Mm -hmm. distribution of match result slips at this point so Mm -hmm. i think it's just two people are on on lead for it and then they just 
divvy out the the labor as they need to. Yeah, that's how I typically had it in my experiences. That we'd have like a couple people responsible for cutting it up, and then it would be the floor judge's job to take the papers and put it out because you're not judging the event yet because the round hasn't started yet. So at that mm-hmm. point, it would just be the floor judges just putting out those uh, the pairings out for it and then the round starts and then they can go to the floor afterwards or they would yeah. come back and maybe help the paper team out in distributing the, the rest of the pairings the, depending on the size of the tournament of course that mm-hmm. that all takes into account everything but that's at least for like the Toronto regionals because that's like the area that I would be like primarily judging in that's mm-hmm. how like we would do it it could be it's slightly different it slightly varies from like place to place but that's just like the generic way of how most of the judges work out yeah and I think it just eventually just became that um, going forward just because it's a better division of labor and it's a better efficiency of labor. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, beyond that, now um, you also have now the admin judge team. The admin judge team is your head judge and your assistant head judges that are prim- like primarily responsible for making sure all the parts are working together properly, making sure the communication's there and for handling any other sort of um things that a more judge would want to like escalate to like yeah. so like um head judges and and now assistant head judges can now take appeals from uh from players so um if a assistant like if a floor judge gets appealed an assistant head judge or a head judge or the head judge can um can answer the appeal and that ruling would be final um but the head judge is still responsible for um, disqualification investigations. Only the head judge can do that. So mm-hmm. that's like that's sort of why assistant head judges can take ruling uh, appeals now because you want to make sure your head judge is available for the things that only the head judge can do. Yeah, and that was something that wasn't uh, always done before. This is something that's kind of been in place for like the the past several years, where the assistant head judge can now start taking appeals because like uh, appeals strangely take more time than the, what it's anticipated because sometimes it's like a conversation that happens between the head judge and whatnot, and that kind of eats up a little time. And that's what you got to get the attention of the head mm-hmm. judge itself too. So going back yep. and forth, it surprisingly eats up a lot of time. So it's nice that you can get a second head in mm-hmm. there to to really help out with that with that process because appeals can take in exorbitant amount of time i think i had one in chicago mm-hmm. uh for the wcq when dragon rulers was about and it was uh-huh. uh and it was i think it was round i think it was like round seven of it and one of the judges was they were doing a deck check on us and right. my opponent just played his first card and then my he got to go first and then the judge said yeah okay we gotta we're doing a deck check on you and the other guy was he was a little bit upset because he just realized well now i know what i he, now I know what he he knows what I'm playing now, and like he's it was, he's getting upset when he's playing spell he's playing spell books I was playing dragon rulers, so and he tried to appeal and I'm thinking like why would you appeal it like what what is this going to accomplish for you like mm-hmm. what is what is going to change and I right. think that also I think that was the sole reason why there was supposed to be nine rounds for that Chicago tournament and it effectively got taken down to eight because that appeal alone just ate up I think about a good like forty like forty minutes 
for some reason. I don't know why, huh. but but like a level on that, like we went to eight rounds in Chicago instead of nine, and it, uh, I, I don't know what that accomplished. But I mean, I yeah. still won anyway. So it, it's yeah. just stuff like that. But it, but it, stuff like that can really eat up time when you appeal. Mm-hmm. So you got to be like you really have to take the do the appealing very very seriously. You can't just like throw it around like uh, like anything, even though you have every right to. But it's something you just can't take lightly yeah. when doing. Yeah, like appeals and delays in tournaments is like one of the big things that um that really slows it down and yeah and deck checks unfortunately will just always require an extension just because of the nature of deck checks Mm -hmm. and um that'll get into something a little bit later but i'm just going to keep it in my mind like all right we're gonna we're gonna talk about delays and stuff so yep yeah yeah so um so yeah so uh, tournament uh, like Judge Def is admin team and those teams there. And um, yeah, as the event goes on, and oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about the mentor judge. So yeah. the, the mentor judge happened like in the middle of all this. Like, it wasn't when I started, but it got implemented later. The mentor judge or the mentor judges, depending on how big your staff is, they don't do any actual judging, they don't answer. Uh, rulings questions they don't do deck checks they don't do any of that the only thing that a mentor judge does is um, evaluate the judges on staff they Mm -hmm. offer advice they give feedback um and um that's all like it's all it is is just helping the judges become better judges that's Mm -hmm. that's that is their main responsibility and if you are at an event you will notice maybe a judge that you recognize is not wearing a judge shirt is wearing just plain clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how, and they're not playing in the event. That's how you can primarily tell who the mentor judge is because they are not wearing a judge uniform because you don't want players thinking that they're on staff when they're not. So, yeah. uh, well, I mean, they are on staff, but they're not, that's not their role in that event. So, yeah. so they're wearing planes clothes and they're just, you know, watching the judges. Mm-hmm. So, um, a very important role, by the way, because it is important for judges to get that feedback to become better. It does not happen naturally, and um, you want to give judges the best opportunity available to become better judges if that's their intent. Mm-hmm. I believe it's also called uh, another term for it is also called like a, sh- a shadow judge. Um, uh, I've heard that before, but um, I know it as a mentor. Yeah, it, it, it's not really thrown around as much, but that's that was like one of those like alternative names that it's been given. Um, mm-hmm. I've also had the case where the the assistant lead would also actually be like the one who would typically have like the higher seniority or anything like that, but that was also like a mentorship role as well because they would mm-hmm. they would be the ones to like ask the questions to like the whoever the the lead of the team was. And it's like mm-hmm. okay, what should we do now? Should we do mm-hmm. this? They would kind of ask them a lot of questions to see what kind of decisions that they would get yep. and kind of go from there. So like I've had cases where like I've been an assistant lead helping out someone who's like in the lead position for a new time, and then I've also been in that position where i've been like a lead where the assistant has was like who's had more experience than i am like kind of mentoring me in a sense so like there's a lot of different ways that we've seen like the mentorship part of the judging like go out there in the, in these tournaments yeah um that is something that is sometimes done and i very much agree with it um you don't get the experience unless you actually do it so yes having the seniority always be the lead sort of works against that because 
there's if there if there's no turnover how is that experience being passed down how is that learning happening mm -hmm. so there will be times where if you're you know deciding which judges go where if you want somebody to get the experience you'll you know you'll flip assistant and um and and the lead and you'll have the more experienced person be the assistant lead and mm -hmm. you'll have the less experienced person be the floor lead and mm -hmm. and the floor lead will direct you know things where to go and the assistant lead will have the knowledge and the experience um in case the floor lead asks for it yeah mm -hmm. and that, that's what i like about the the assistant lead being kind of like the more experienced judge because it's it's a way for them to kind of like sort of provoke the like the head judge sorry like the lead a little bit like when they ask them questions like okay well what are we going to do in this situation mm -hmm. what's going to happen like what are you going to what is your plan to to like run the event you know they ask them all these questions and they get them thinking because like this is these are like the situations that you're going to have to come across especially if you start head judging maybe like a smaller tournament mm -hmm. that doesn't have as many judges like these are the questions you're, you just have to ask without somebody kind of being there kind of i don't want to say babysitting you or anything but but being there as like that mentor like position for you like you gotta yes. be able to do it even on your own because I've, I've had judged a tournament before where it's just been a scorekeeper myself and i've had one other judge and this mm -hmm. is like a like a 150 200 person event it's happened mm -hmm. before for me so like i, I had to rely on nobody except basically myself kind of to, to kind of run an event so these situations can run out can happen especially for like the yep. smaller cities and whatnot mm -hmm. yep and i've i've been to tournaments like that before too and it's not pleasant but you do the best you can with it and uh, hopefully hopefully the players understand too yeah and, mm -hmm. and one thing i've always uh kind of felt bad for the some of the judges is that like it's 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 kind of like like referees and sports one sometimes it can kind of be like a bit of a thankless job mm -hmm. and like all these guys are they're volunteers as well like they don't they don't have to be here and nope. and then without these guys you're not going to get any events at all for for whatnot but of right. course like when when like one bad ruling happens and whatnot of course that's going to be like the stigma that's going to be attached to them for like the the rest of the day as opposed to like yeah. like the 98 100 million things that they did good and yeah. so did well mm -hmm. that kind of is superseded by like the one thing that's happened and i've and i've yeah i've, I've given a bad ruling before and i've been like chastised for it and there's even one person that even chastised me for like like 10 like oh god like 15 years ago when i first mm -hmm. judged they still chastised me to this day and it happens but yeah yeah it's yeah, it's just like, like I totally get like bad calls happen because it happens yeah. in any in any activity or sport where things are subjective and things are like that. Like it, it like Yu-Gi-Oh is not unlike that. Like, and it sucks when it happens. Like, yeah. and I've I've been there too. Um, but the thing is, um, if you're doing the best you can, if you learn from it. And you make sure you take steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. th then it's a win. Then that's the thing that you, that's the thing you want is make sure you learn from the thing and make sure you recognize how you how it happened in the first place so it doesn't happen again. 
Yeah, absolutely. That that's what it is. It's all a learning process. Because like even like professionals in like the most professional sports, like the, like the NFL referees, they make mistakes too. Like MLB, but umpires make like call balls that are strikes and strikes that are balls all right. the time. It, mm-hmm. it happens. Like you can. It doesn't matter how like professionally mm-hmm. trained you are. Mistakes are bound to happen. Yes. And, you know, it, and that's something that you know maybe the some of the players may not realize. Yeah. Place. Yeah. Especially in Yu Gi Oh. And yeah. Um. Um, I, I hate to say it and I really hate to say it, but, mm-hmm. um, the, like our rule book and mm-hmm. the resources that judges have for actually mm-hmm. making rulings is mm-hmm. not as great as you'd want it to be. And mm-hmm. if a judge gets it wrong, you have to look at what was available to them at the time. Mm-hmm. And if you realize like, there's nothing to back this up officially, then I don't blame judges for getting it wrong. Like, yeah. it, if there's nothing out there, then what are you gonna do? Yeah, it, it's like a it's like a court case that has no precedence because like yeah. you have nothing to fall back on. It's like so you kind of mm-hmm. have to make a decision right then and there on the spot, and not to mention mm-hmm. like all the like all the pressure that's like mm-hmm. being on this decision. Because if you make a decision, like maybe like X amount of people are like, well, that's not right, but X amount of people say like, well, that okay, I can kind of agree with that. Yeah. But there's no like hard concrete proof on it. We can only go by like maybes and like well. There's possibilities, but again, when you have to make that decision like on the spot, like you, it's it's really tough to kind of satisfy everybody with that kind of decision. Yeah. So I kind of want to talk about um, the thing that was in my mind when I was talking about that. Yeah. Um, so um, I had judged one um, WCQ, and that was the 2015 WCQ, uh, which took place in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And this one is high profile because it was on stream. People saw me mess up, and yeah. I, yeah, so it would be kind of weird if I didn't talk about this. <laughs> so, um, this was like a, this was a playoff match, it was either like top 64 or top 32, or or it was in the late rounds on day two, mm-hmm. it, was, it was sometime at that point. So, this, um, there was a ruling question that happened at the feature match table that was being streamed, and it involves uh, Shadal Kor and Farfa Malabranch of the Burning Abyss. Mm-hmm. So, um, Farfa's effect banishes Shadal Core that's being treated as a monster, and then you know the Shadal Core gets banished. Yeah, and the ruling question was very straightforward. It's what happens to the Shadal Core um, in the end phase? Mm-hmm. Like, does it come back? Does it go to the graveyard? Well, what happens to it? Yeah. So, floor judge, well, rather the feature match judges, they make a ruling and it gets appealed. So that's fine. So it comes to me. And I have one of my assistant head judges there with me. So I'm like, all right, well, it's the stream. So I have to take this because it's, you know, you want the head judge taking this, mm-hmm. you know, for optics and all. So um, so I'm going through and I'm like, hmm, I don't see anything that we can really use. Like, so spoiler, um, I had access to like, a large collection of old rulings, but yeah. um, this specific example, I couldn't really think of anything on the spot. And if you're in the middle of a tournament, you can't be sitting there browsing through every ruling like an encyclopedia. You have to like, if you don't think you're going to find the information you need, you got to make some. You got to make a call. Like you got to, yeah. you got to just do it. So I'm like, all right, I can't find anything. So let me read cards. Let me see. Like, all right, so 
I forgot exactly what decision I made, but I'm like, okay, I think it's this. Let's go for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, my phone blew up after I uh, got done with that call. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, which means I invariably got it wrong. So, uh, I mean, wrong in quotes, because um, I then looked at what people were saying and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, all of the rulings for trap monsters are under the entry for embodiment of Apophis. Yes, which was the original, like the OG trap monster, like way right. back when. Now, keep in mind, earlier, I said that I started playing in 2006. When did Embodiment of Apophis come out in the TCG? And the answer was before that, yeah. which means I was not actively looking at rulings as they were coming out. I would have missed that. And also, it was 2015. It was at least 10 years since that card came out. And- so... And that's a card that is was absolutely never played at all. I don't recall it ever being played in any competitive mm-hmm. deck that ever like topped an event or whatnot. Right. So, yeah. so on the one hand, I'm like, oh, I messed up a ruling. But on the other hand, I was like, how was I supposed to know this? Like, yeah. was, I, was I supposed to just hold on to all possible card interactions in my head all at the same time, mm-hmm. just in case one of them comes up at some point? Like yeah. it's like it. That's a big ask. Like it, you know. it really is because uh, you know there's you know the event where um, there was the controversial uh, judge ruling of being able to activate Insector Hopper on, on the very first turn for an Insector. Sure. Yeah. So and, and of course, like they ruled the event that you could, but then eventually it was kind of ruled later on that you couldn't do it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I knew, and I remember when I heard that ruling, like, I instantly did think of a card that had like the same precedence. Uh, it's called Overpowering Eye. It's a spell card that lets uh, a zombie with, I believe, 2,000 attack or lower be able to attack directly this turn. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there was a ruling that said, you can't activate this on the first turn. But mm-hmm. again, this is, a, this is such an obscure card mm-hmm. that I'm sure that 95% of the population has no idea what that card is, maybe never even heard of it, but it's like one of those cards where, oh, you're like, you know, there's precedent here, but how am I supposed to know of this card, which nobody plays, nobody knows, nobody does anything, and mm-hmm. that's like really hard to like use as a precedence or whatnot. And, and it was kind of like that, kind of like that situation uh, for you in a sense. Yeah, it's pretty much like that, where it's like one decision was made years ago. You don't know if it's still valid or not. You just yeah. like the information isn't there. So if judges get it wrong, I don't blame them. Like, Mm -hmm. like you use, you do the best with the information you have and that's the best you can ask for. Yeah. And and especially since there's also like a a, a time constraint on it. Like you have to think of this, like pretty much almost on the spot or you might get like maybe a minute or two, but you can't like be taking like an hour or two hours Mm -hmm. to really come up with a decision, come back because you've got a tournament to run. Like Mm -hmm. it has to keep going uh, with regardless of how difficult or how problematic the ruling is. Like you can't do it. So you got to make a decision right then and there, which again, like it's a lot of pressure having to, make mm-hmm. that kind of decision but it's it, someone has to do it mm-hmm. and you know and, and of course with the circumstances presented you're bound to be wrong at some point in time and that happens yes yes and like you like that's one of your concerns is that you do like you get the information you can but also keep in mind the longer you take the longer extension you have to give and that's going to push the round further and further and um while the players may not mind it, 
um, the tournament organizer who has to pay for the event hall will absolutely mind it. And yep. now that we're in the current year, this was not a thing when I was judging, but now since judges get an actual paycheck because they are considered temp employees, um, mm -hmm. it also has a additional fiscal impact yes. how long your tournament goes. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and that's – I suspect that's also why – uh, end of match procedures are <laughs> I, are. That's what I thought too when uh, <laughs> when the end of match procedure was was given because it's like you're saving time, so that's less money you have to pay for the judges. That's less money you have to like book for the event hall and like <laughs> whatever like broadcasting like company that you maybe <laughs> hired to like help stream all this. Because I remember yep. there was one there was I think there was one WCQ we had where they couldn't film the finals because like the, the event took way too long and doing <laughs> that would have been like way past the contract. I think it was in Pittsburgh. I'm not 100 percent sure, but either uh, <laughs> way like that that was the reason why so like there's certain yep. time limits that the whole event that the event has like konami has to be able to like pay all this and that and it's amazing how much mm. an extra hour can completely cost like yeah. konami the company in itself yeah that was actually 2016 i was on staff for that particular wcq and i was mm -hmm. actually a feature match judge so yeah. i was sitting at all of the you know at the streamed feature matches for that event and mm -hmm. yeah um there was a hard out for the uh, for the uh, stream production crew, and um, if they did the finals, they would not be able to tear down quick enough to get out in time. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, that that would have been a huge hit, and mm -hmm. like it sucks, but like that's also like I think that event is also why the WCQ start times went back an hour also because usually it was cut off at um cut off at 10 and now it's cut off at 9 for a 10 a.m start so um yeah it's like this is real life um like all of this comes back to like just real life um restrictions i guess is that word i'm looking for um mm -hmm. just things that have to happen in order to have a large scale TCG tournament. Like there's a lot of moving parts and a, like, it's very easy to just not realize that if one thing goes wrong, a lot of things get messed up down the line. And yeah. And that's like one of the, like the first things that like, like cause a delay in tournaments. And I don't know if a lot of players realize this is like the registration. And, mm -hmm. and what mm -hmm. I mean by the registration is that we get a lot of late stragglers who come to these events, who come at like the last five minutes and it still takes a little bit of time to get them registered because we have to like, we have to ID them. We have to yep. look them up. They have uh -huh. to get to the line themselves and we have to make sure we get them registered before we are able to send them off and then, we, right. you know, collect their deck list and everything. So that also adds extra time. And that even happens to me on a local level as well, where yep. I'm ready to start. And then someone comes in and like at the last minute before I'm about to start, it's like, Oh, sorry. Can I get the tournament? Like, yep. Okay. I'm like, I, I have to like stop the, pairings put them in make sure they pay mm -hmm. for the event as yep. well before they get in so you have to realize that the mm -hmm. late stragglers also delay the tournament and that happens a lot at regional levels and that's yep. why like like you can make the joke all you want that yeah regionals and YCS may never start on time but that's a that's a unfortunate benefactor of like late players that come in or mm -hmm. discrepancies that happen before the tournament because that happens a ton yep. some people might ask like hey can i have my deck list back real quick because i want to make some changes on it Ugh. like that that can happen yeah. like there's a lot of outside factors that like come into play with these that a lot of players like actually don't realize 
that occur, which is why it's really hard to you know, like get the event started on time, and especially when you're doing this with like a very large scale of players, especially at mm-hmm. a, like a YCS and WCQ where you're dealing with like a thousand plus players. Yeah, like having the good habits of registering well before that deadline is going like it would make the tournament a lot quicker and a lot smoother if more people did that and i assume that also that is also why konami um incentivizes players to uh register on friday for a wcq or for a ycs with yeah. the with the dice like if yeah. you register early you get this dice and yeah. having the day before registration makes the day of registration a lot smoother yes mm-hmm. makes it a lot simpler and i i can't remember or not i, I want to say no because i believe the friday is a completely like a volunteer uh is completely on a volunteer basis when it comes to like paying the judges if i recall i'm not 100 100 percent sure because it's been a while maybe you can like correct me on that one if i'm wrong i'm not 100 percent, but i would assume that is working hours for the judges so okay I, yeah so like you are getting paid on the clock for whatever it is you're doing so you report at a certain time and then you clock out at a certain time yeah okay because i remember before when judges like weren't paid at least when i was like head judging sorry not head judging when i was judging more high profile events mm-hmm. we had friday as the like it's a completely volunteer basis event. Like right. help out if you can, if you mm-hmm. want. You're, like you're yeah. not going to compensate for it, but it would be really grateful and really helpful if you did kind of thing. Yeah, and, and, I I think that went by the wayside once the paid model came into play. Yeah, which which I can understand because they were because at that time judges were considered to be volunteers, but they mm-hmm. were volunteers that got compensation. So yeah, you be a little bit uh, a lot more flexible with the quote unquote hours that you worked and whatnot, and then mm-hmm. they can and you know. The economy can just kind of pay you whatever they feel like. They yeah. choose to pay you extra, choose you what they're not. Because like I got paid a little bit extra mm-hmm. in like packs and whatnot if I decided to work the Friday, which I was grateful for. I love doing, and I always worked every single Friday that I could when I was working those events. But it's a little bit trickier now now that they're now that everything has to be monetized as far as working judges are. Broken. Yeah, it's a lot of the like it's a lot, not a lot, but it's a part of the reason why I don't really judge so much. It's because um like what are we getting like minimum wage for for judging like uh, my time's a little bit more valuable than that i would rather be doing something else and granted for like a big event you probably like i think they still get like the mats and things but if you're judging just for the swag and you're not doing it for like the reasons um that you get into it in the first place like making sure that you have an event that runs properly making sure the players have a good event like if you're not getting that sort of satisfaction out of it then Mm -hmm. you're doing it for the wrong reasons so Mm -hmm. i've told judges that throughout my entire tenure as a judge like if you're not doing it for the right reasons and if you're not enjoying it get out like you like you're if you're driving yourself crazy because um because like you are trying to keep up with rulings and your your feet hurt when you're walking the floor and you're you're taking too many weekends and it's just like if it's getting overwhelming just cut it loose this is this is extra this is um this is it's nice but it's at the end it's extra and if you're, if yep. you're not enjoying it just let it go and yeah that's eventually the decision i came to and you know after 10 years like that's like 
that's a good run to me. Like that's yeah, very good run. Very yeah, long run. Yeah. Um, I met some great people doing this and I don't regret that at all. And I'm just like, I'm glad like I'm not, uh, I, I still keep in touch with, you know, judges and some players as well. And mm-hmm. it's just like, and you know, even with event coverage writing, like it's, it's effectively the same thing. Like I started it in, like 2017 or whatever went until 2020 and mm-hmm. i again like it's sort of the same thing like i enjoy watching matches i enjoy writing about and talking about the game like i still play the game so like mm-hmm. i i still get enjoyment out of it and i wanted to like you know help other people get enjoyment out of it too and unfortunately like the same thing happened where it's like oh this stopped being worth it and like i wasn't getting the same enjoyment out of it as i was before so mm-hmm. You cut loose, and here we are. I'm, I'm yep. I played in one uh, public event this weekend, um, it, in the uh, extravaganza. Yep, and um, that was fun. Like I, I enjoyed that. Like I'll, I'll enjoy the remote duels as they're happening, and when real life organized play comes back, I'll still enjoy it too. But at, at the moment, judging and writing just that fall by the wayside because that's work. And I started, like, I stopped getting the same enjoyment out of it. And you got to just do what you like. Well, I want to touch more on that, that same point again, about kind of judging for the wrong reasons. I want to add to that because, because mm-hmm. uh, you don't want to, because first of all, when you're working with like for Konami, like whether it's just for a day, like you're being an ambassador, a representative of them. And if you're just kind of there, just not to really like for the love of the game or whatnot, or you just mm-hmm. kind of do it for the paycheck, you're, I feel like the effort's not really going to be there for it. And, mm-hmm. you know, but you're but you're connected with Konami. So if you just have like one bad experience with another person that's there, in the in the player's mind, they're gonna think, okay, well, this person's working for Konami. They're they mm-hmm. they're like acting as an ambassador, the rep of yeah. them. And then like if you carry that like negative like attitude into it, that stigma's gonna be passed over to the player, mm-hmm. and then that's the impression that they're going to get from like, mm-hmm. of Konami because that's the kind of people quote unquote that they're having on their staff right. and that, that just that puts them in a really bad light which is obviously the last thing that Konami is going to want in that situation yeah yeah now granted like there are judges like especially newer judges who may not yep. like grasp that particular thing of it but yeah it's still good to have newer judges in there even if they're not, you know, completely altruistic. Like yeah. there, there is value to having somebody who has not judged before judge, like even if they're, even if they're doing it just for the mats or whatever, because, and this is my opinion, um, it is good to have players know what it's like on the other side of it. Yes. I think it gives them an insight towards the process and it will be like, oh, when I'm mouthing off the judges, this is what it's this is what it's like to have to sit here and just bite my lip and be like, don't talk back because you're not supposed to. Yeah. Like, like I really think like if you're like a competitive player, even if you're not even if you don't apply to a YCS to judge, just go to your regional and just judge once. Mm-hmm. Like just just see what it's like. And you'll get a better appreciation for it. And um you you might figure out something like you might as you're talking to players you'll realize oh if this player said this instead 
I would understand the situation a lot better. And then you can take that with you and you can better communicate to your judges when you're next playing in an event. Yeah, really. And I, I can completely understand that because when you, when you get put yourself in that other kind of side of shoes, you can, you have that ability to be able to communicate with them better. It's like, okay, if they, maybe if they talk to me like this, maybe I'd be a little bit more responsive and mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. I might get like, not like something in my favor would say, but maybe a little bit more leniency or a little more understanding. Cause of course, like if, if a really bad player, if like a player with a bad attitude is coming at you a little bit more, you're obviously, you probably want to throw a like harsher, like penalties or like, you know, lay down the law a little bit more as opposed to a player who's like a little more respectful, a little bit more calm and cool. And mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. wants to have like a more like an actual, like real, like question and maybe yeah. like tiny debate with you as opposed to someone who just wants to be like purely confrontational or like just make a spectacle on the matter. Right. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and it's also like just a good experience just to know, um, you know, customer relations. It's a, it's effectively customer relations. Like if, yeah. if you're not in the sort of retail world, if you're not, if you're not doing, if you're not doing client facing things, then, mm-hmm. then this is like, dive headfirst into it and this is a taste of what it's like yeah uh, absolutely that it's it's just and again this all goes going back to you know being in their shoes for a bit just to just even understanding just the slightest bit of what they have to go through and mm-hmm. then you understand okay yeah, i don't i'm not going to do this to cause a, any kind of trouble like for example when i'm at a regional so i'm a player i'd be like like everyone we got to get our deck list together let's let's get them so we can pass them all down to mm-hmm. like, the judge we'd have it all ready for the, the judge when the judge arrives at the table when we're ready to go so yep. it's a lot easier for them and like had them all organized and everything like that it's just like these little things and like and when i get up out of my chair i'm gonna push it in and take any garbage that comes with me it's Mm -hmm. just like these little things that kind of happen because i know on the other side of things judge has to kind of be a little bit of a janitor as well like housekeeping cleaning straightening up the tablecloths as you said before Mm -hmm. in the podcast like these are like the little things and like now that i have this experience behind me and like Mm -hmm. i still judge from time to time mind you i'm not i haven't left the program or anything like that but it's just knowing these things it's like okay i can help do a little bit of my share to kind of make the job easier for everybody because you know you kind of want judges to have a good judging experience as well so that way they can keep coming back and if Mm -hmm. they're coming back we can have more events and that's what i want i want more events i want to have i want to go to a regional like every every month that would be awesome i would love to do it so what do you do like you have to give good good experiences for the judges as well it's not just the player yep. experience it's the judge experience that they need as well yeah. and a lot of people seem to forget about that that it's not just the players it's also the staff that works behind it too because without the staff there's no game without the players there's no game you need both together yep and judge turnover is absolutely a huge deal like you have to be mm-hmm. good players in order to keep good judges like that's really yep. what it is and yep. i i've seen good judges leave the entire community behind because of the community. Well, yeah. if you're in the community, it behooves you to be a good community to have better people around you. Like that's mm-hmm. that's really what it is. It, it really is because I've also like when I've head judged a couple regions myself, I've had you know I've had some players like really give like a bad experience to one of my judges, and they came back to me in tears, just like telling like, telling me how like poorly mistreated that they were, and like so I had to I had to go like 
you know, rectify the situation and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But like you like some of these judges, like they really take like a lot of crap from these players. And it's mm-hmm. it's, it's completely unfair. It's it, you know, like we like this the past couple of years, we've we've made the word like Karen as like this new term where this like the the entitled kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, we we kind of get that sometimes in Yu-Gi-Oh! players too, where they just they mm-hmm. just want to be jerks, they just kind of want whatever and just kind of you know dispose like toss the judges aside like they're nothing but like no they're people too like you gotta mm-hmm. show them a level of respect as well so and, yep. you know it kind of goes both ways here you know yep. like, there are Karens in Yu-Gi-Oh too which we may not talk about a whole lot but they're there and you know yep. you gotta really give like really give that respect line between like judges and players and like if we that we can get like a good clean tournament and maybe we can all get out of the right at a good time mm-hmm. so we can go maybe have a meal with our friends afterwards when it's not like 12 a.m in the morning where yeah. i just sacrifice sleep and go play the next day yeah yeah um that is absolutely correct um yeah, yeah. i mean it, like appeals and whatnot those are normal. Those are like kind of like expected delays or not, but we don't want the delays where somebody's just causing a ruckus yelling at like a tournament mm-hmm. organizer or a head judge like that, because that it's happened before I've seen it happen. And it's yep. like, come on guys. Like you you don't realize the kind of like the repercussions that you're doing by like yelling at an official or making, or like causing the scene with that, like unnecessarily. Yeah. So yeah, just to uh, like, you know, make it like to, I don't know, like assert your dominance. I, I don't know what it is, but it's yeah. like, like, by the way, it causes a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, players yelling, like, like if it gets to that point, like it, that usually falls under unsporting conduct, uh, severe yep. usually. So yep. like, you fill out the paperwork, and uh, by the way, for for everyone listening, uh, judges for the most part hate disqualifying people. We do not like it one bit. Like no. it is just an awful experience on both ends. Um, it is never pleasant to have to tell a player that they are disqualified and that yep. they have to leave the tournament and leave the venue because now we have now uh, taking it a little bit inside. There's a form we have to fill out, a multi-page form that we have to fill out. Mm-hmm. Um, it um, The players are responsible for filling out part of one page, and a player statement takes up an entire other page. Having, a, having to sit a player down and hand them the player statement sheet and be like, you're being disqualified, here's... Here's the thing you can fill out that tells your side of the story, be as complete as possible. And then I have to get their information as well. It's just like, that's just, it's never pleasant. Nobody likes doing it, but yep. at the same time we do it because we have to like, yeah. like if you commit something that requires the penalty, uh, uh, unsporting conduct severe or unsporting conduct cheating, mm-hmm. it is on us to issue the proper penalty and and follow that through because otherwise otherwise tournament policy tournament rules they don't matter if we just say we'll we'll, we'll let it go if you let it go then you might as well not even be there yeah the the baseball did not even be any rules at all and and then not to mention, like, it also kind of makes the situation awkward, like, during that entire process where you're having to tell them, yeah, I'm sorry, you're, you're DQ'd, can you fill out this form? There's that little tension in between. Mm-hmm. And then once you, like, get them escorted out of the building and whatnot, you, like, even though it's it may or may not be a problem, you kind of have to think, okay, I got to watch out for this this person now. Mm-hmm. Are they going to, like, try to make a return or whatnot to the event because they know they're not supposed to? Like, I've mm-hmm. had cases where, like, we've had players that have tried to, like, re-enter the building when they're not supposed to, mm-hmm. or players that would have been suspended but try to get into the building 
anyway when they know they're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's just that's just extra hassle. Like, it, and yeah. it probably won't happen. But it, does, but the fact that it's in your mind, like that's that's what you're going to be thinking about mm-hmm. for like most of the day. And it just kind of kind of takes over your judging experience and it just gets like it gets gets terrible in that case yeah yeah there's like so usually that would be the responsibility of the tournament organizer usually that does not come down to judge staff but mm-hmm. there have been times like even though it's responsibility of the tournament organizer yeah as a judge it's still in the back of your mind like it's still yeah. it's still like if this person especially if they're a security threat like if they're a security threat or like to themselves or other people, it's going to be in the back of your mind. Like if this person yeah. comes back, how are we reacting to this? Like, it's, yes, it's just like, you don't want to be there, but at the same time, like, this is what you like, this is what you signed up for. And it sucks that it happened on this particular tournament, but mm-hmm. just, just get to round eight, just get to round eight. <laughs> just, just make sure all the players get their, get their invite paperwork filled out, give them their mats, give them their, their deck boxes, and then just, G, just get out and just, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember like uh, the past, like several years now, we've had to start getting uh, the, the local police involved just there as oh. kind of like uh, extra security and whatnot. And uh, I remember one Philadelphia event, like there was actually a fight that happened at, mm-hmm. on the following, on the Fridays of the pre-register. Mm-hmm. So, for the rest of the people that came in, because I remember I came in like after, about maybe half an hour after the fight had happened, and like, all right, you're just you're just going in and you get a pre-register and then you're going out. No one's allowed to stay here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't be it there. Like, and that just completely ruins the experience for everybody because when I go to these pre-register events, it's casual for me to go see like buddies I don't see for a long time and say, hey, yep. what's going on? Let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Hey, you want to trade with me for a little bit? Let's yeah. talk. Let's catch up. Let's let's have let's socialize. Yeah. Let's have some fun because. Mm-hmm you kind of want to socialize maybe a little bit outside of like who you mm-hmm. travel with just for a little bit, because you're not, you're seeing people you haven't seen for years mm-hmm. or months. It's like, Hey, let's do this house on talk, catch up and then leave and then go back with your group and whatnot. But then when you have that kind of experience, just ruin it. It's like, well, great. That's like, that's less time I get to spend with people. They were supposed to mm-hmm. come in that day. Cause like tournament day is like, if you're doing really well, you don't really have a lot of time to like mm-hmm. kind of socialize. You got to get ready for the next round and prep and whatnot. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a completely different experience when just one person just, or two people just decide to kind of like ruin up and mess up the entire day. Yeah. You think, do you think like the next, like the first YCS that's in person after all this goes down, you think like 40 or 50 people are going to cry when the judge says you have 40 minutes, you may begin. <laughs> I feel like, like yeah. I feel like whenever those words are uttered again, there's going to be like a giant, like a giant celebration, like maybe yeah. a giant cheer, like maybe yeah. a giant applause or something like that. Because that's kind of been like yeah. the, the words that have been all over social media. It's like, we can't wait to hear these words. Like, yeah. We are 40 minutes. You may begin. Like we're yeah. all waiting for that day because I'm a huge extrovert and yeah. I love playing like in real life dueling. So yeah. I personally can't wait for that. Yeah. The, it, there's going to be a huge standing ovation. There's, is gonna yeah. be it, it's gonna be a grand occasion like it's gonna be I, I always make the joke that the wcq is the family reunion of Yu-Gi-Oh! because yeah even if you don't qualify for it even if you're not even like half the time even if you're not gonna play like you just go there just to see the people that you mm-hmm. want like that you haven't seen in a long time mm-hmm. and i feel like this first ycs that's gonna happen like after organized play comes back it, it's gonna be that like it's 100 percent going to be that i am willing to gamble on that 100 and mm-hmm. everyone's been 
like, wanting like to have their in real life duels back. And this is not a knock against remote duels, even though I'm not a mm-hmm. big fan of it. But I'm glad that they 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 open this opportunity for us to you know mm-hmm. at least keep the game going. Mm-hmm. Like when we get back to in real life dueling, I'm sure there's going to be like a, a giant. Uh, yell of like jubilation uh, mm-hmm. among the crowd because we we get that like we, we've had cases where we've had a lot of like the whole room cheer and, and whatnot but i'm <laughs> definitely sure that we're going to get that kind of reaction from mm-hmm. the first event we're going to get back yeah. i'm confident that we're gonna get over COVID 19 eventually it, it yeah. will happen you yeah. just gotta be patient with it and you know take yeah. the right steps for it but if and when it finally does mm-hmm. yeah I'm in full agreement with you that that is going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> I'm I'm happy about remote duels also. Like I'm yeah. like I'm happy it's there. Um, and I'm like I'm impressed with how organized play was able to adapt to the conditions and allow us to keep playing a physical card game without yeah. putting us in danger. Like that was like and like it happened relatively quickly too. Like maybe like a yeah. month or two. Like I am just like super impressed by that and granted in terms of like large-scale tournaments like the uh remote dual um invitate um i'm sorry the extravaganza main events Mm -hmm. um like to which in my mind were like sort of the like the testing grounds for how well you can run a regional level event uh, over discord like Mm -hmm. like granted speed bumps at the beginning because any new process Mm -hmm. yeah it's going to be you know it, there's going to be speed bumps, like 100% fine, but they were able to adapt so quickly to it and streamline mm-hmm. the process. Like, I think that's like, like super good. Like they were able to play in large scale events from mm-hmm. our homes. Like that's, that's great. Do you think that, uh, let's say theoretically, when if and when the world opens up again, we're back to in real life doing, that Konami would still maintain the option of being able to have like remote dual events? Um, so that's tricky to me because um, if they do that, they're sort of that they're sort of taking away from their own business at that point. Yeah, like they're, they're splitting apart TCG like in two different areas, remote duel and in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that um, they'll keep remote duel um, for things like Duel Links and for Legacy of the Duelist and Legacy of the Duelist Link Evolution because Mm -hmm. that that makes sense. Like, yeah, you can play Legacy of the Duelist from home and it doesn't matter where you are, you can just do that. Mm -hmm. And same thing with Duel Links. Like, sure, you can play Duel Links from home, and you can even actually play Duel Links at a public event, because that's what we did before. Like, people went on their phones, and they they played Duel Links against each other, and they got paired off in a a single elimination bracket. Like, that's just, like, that's also possible. But remote dueling for physical TCG, I think that goes away once once in real life uh, organized play comes back. Yeah, because I've heard the argument for for continuing it, and I think you're the first one who's actually give me an argument against it, which I I, I completely see and understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only the argument I saw for maybe continuing it is uh, for people with uh, accessibility issues that maybe mm-hmm. can't get to some of these events. Sure, uh, some people who maybe have some like maybe mental health issues where like a lot of people can't like handle crowds very well or can't be like away for long periods of time, mm-hmm. um, anything like that. I mean, maybe you could maybe make an event where like 
only that's tournament eligible for only those kind of people whatnot but that's like that's Mm -hmm. a completely different ball of wax that you could touch but that was an argument for those kinds of things but i could but now that you presented your side like i can totally see like on both sides of the Mm -hmm. of the argument where like you know should we keep remote duels or should we should we leave them and that's uh that might be a decision konami might have to make once you know the the world's able to open up and we're starting to do like in real life dueling again so who knows on that front i mean that's a nice perspective that you provided on the other side of it because I never heard of that side of the, that corner of the argument yet. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine Konami would look at this from a lot of different angles before they made that that kind of choice. But from my mind, it has to be one or the other. Yeah, and, and that's fair. And and not to mention, as you mentioned, there are several other ways of being able to play Yu-Gi-Oh that we already do in in an online format anyhow. So, you know, let's, it's like, let's jump on those while like, you know, keeping our, keeping the other game, which is our, like our main attraction, kind of like, like the center, the centerpiece, let's not take away from like what the game was primarily meant to be for. Right. Right. In a sense. So yeah, I, I completely see your, your argument in that sense. And I, uh, I, I completely get it. I, I, I'm now I'm on the fence if I, we should keep remote duels in or out or not. Now, mm-hmm. now that you've presented me with it. So mm-hmm. completely up in the air. So that's, uh, that's definitely something that, uh, interesting to see what Konami is going to do, uh, moving forward w- with that, because we've seen events before have like specific tables for people with mm-hmm. disabilities or any health mm-hmm. issues where like they can have their own table or if they need to like run off for a second, yeah. like they have that table. So uh, who knows at that point, but uh, I, I like the argument that you presented with that. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and then you said, you told me you, uh, you participated in the, the extravaganza over, over the weekend. Uh, how, yes. how was that experience? Good, good. Um, I played in one win um, my, um, I ran, um, Live Twin Elwich. Um, it's a deck, you know, I play around with a lot of different decks just because I like to sort of experiment and see what works and what doesn't. Like, I'm not the type of player that um, immediately goes to net deck list. Like, I used to be all very, like, um, very stringent on it. I'd be like, no, every list has to be mine. And then I realized, wait, I'm not good enough to make my own lists. I, I'm, <laughs> I am not going to be Jeff Jones as lo- like as much as I would like to be Jeff Jones. Like, it's just not going to happen. So I'm like, all right, I'll, so like what I'll do now is I'll like make up, like, I, I want to do this strategy and then I'll make a first draft of it. And then I'll see what other people did with it and see what other options like I like just to compare, like what did I do versus what did they end up with? Yeah. So um, I really like the life twin strategy just because it's like it, it's a normal summon and it puts up like this incredible, like draw and control engine on the opponent's turn. And that's mm-hmm. super cool. And it's, I mean, granted it's a normal summon. That's not Alistair because I think at, in 2021, I think we're all tired of normal summoning Alistair. <laughs> But, um, and Eldritch is just a strong, just a strong strategy. It's just completely resilient. It's like, here, here's this big zombie that just keeps coming back. Like, mm-hmm. just, there's just really good synergy with it. So I played in one win, Matt. Um, my first round opponent um, had to leave almost immediately. So that was a free Ooh. win. And then, um, oddly enough, um, Distant Coder was in my win mat and he was my round two. And, oh. Uh, yeah. Um, I did not win against Distant Coder. Um, he was playing Salomon Great, and he, every time I tried to disrupt his normal summon with something like 
like Sanguine Conk. He had the Book of Moon for the uh, Eldritch, the Golden Lord, so the Conk didn't pop, and then he just went off anyway. And yep. uh, that happened in two games in a row, and I did not win. Uh, but but you know what? I I'm gonna get the uh, the promo that is gonna be included with this, and mm-hmm. um, I got to participate at least once, and I want to participate uh, today. But unfortunately, I am terrible at starting my day, so that just didn't happen. <laughs> but but I have the deck, and I um, I'll probably play in a couple more you know locals throughout the next couple weeks or so, and um, we'll see what happens for. Is there another extravaganza coming up? I don't even know. I, but... Yeah, I don't recall anything happening too soon. Yeah, but you know what? It's fine. Like I'll play. I'll play remote dual locals. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I get to you know do it on my own time. I don't have to you know drive out the fifteen minutes or whatever to go to my local. Um, which are they're not even running events, but like once they once they kick up again, like just going into my office is just super easy, and I can like have dinner and uh, like. Just if I need to just get up and go, whatever, I'll have to like wait for a bathroom or anything because there is a bathroom right here and it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you also have been able to have an experience where very few people do and you've got to do uh, event coverage as well. Mm -hmm. Writing for for Konami, doing feature matches. I've done it too for... Uh, for metagame way back in the day when uh, J- when Jason Gravemeyer had a little bit more creative control back then and he would let me uh, help him out here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and how, kind of describe that uh, experience of being able to cover matches uh, for, for the Yu-Gi-Oh! blog. Yes, yeah, so um, it is definitely an experience. Um, doing feature matches, especially in modern Yu-Gi-Oh! is very much an experience in... Uh, learning when to do your paragraphs because before i would do my paragraphs for every turn but Mm -hmm. um when your turn lasts 10 minutes um that's a huge wall of text and not many people are willing to read that so um um doing feature matches is nice because you get to see the fresh things like especially on day one when we're selecting new stuff we're selecting decks that are fresh we're selecting things that people haven't seen before because that's sort of what like it's not a specific direction that we get but it is something that we as writers want to put out there that Mm -hmm. we want to show people that there's more to this game than just what tops that there's so many combinations of cards and things and we want to showcase what people are bringing to these events and we want to show you Hey, here's some cool new strategies that are not going to break your bank. Like this is what you can do with this deck. And then day two, we just do the meta nonsense, which, you know, fair because that's all that's left. But like on day one, showing people new stuff, showing people things that they haven't seen before. Like that's, that's really what is like the thing that gets like that brought me to the table. Yeah, because what I this is the kind of the pattern that I've seen and the kind of what I had when I was helping Jason. I was like, the first few rounds, it's always been like, let let's feature like the really fun, cool stuff that hasn't been done before ever. Uh, yeah. Maybe around like the mid rounds, let's see if those decks, any kind of deck like that, is still like alive with a very good record in the tournament. We'll keep kind of keep going with that, mm-hmm. and then near the end, we'll still do that, but to a lighter note. And if nothing happens, we'll see something if there's like a compelling matchup between two mm-hmm. players. 
players where we know that there's been like history with them, like any kind of like like fun like rivalry, like beef, yeah. or like or like a rematch or something, any kind of like telling storyline to have mm-hmm. it as. Like that's kind of the focus of where we've had like feature matches and whatnot. And yeah, you know, it's it's sometimes it's kind of you have to kind of dive deep through it. And Jason does a great job of being able to dig deep and find some of these matches. Yeah, that, that you like that just become a diamond in the rough out of nowhere. But yeah. You know, yeah, that is but, definitely a skill, especially um, because it's not just about just like write like you could just type words on a keyboard. Like, yeah, no. it, anybody could do that. But being able to find like being able to find the story is part of what makes a good journalist, and that translates here as well. Like, yes, be, being able to get the story is more important than just he played Goki Suprex. Like, congratulations, you played Goki Suprex. Like, all mm-hmm. right, but being able to like. Being able to find like for like YCS first timers, I'll like I'll I'll tell this story because this is like one of the best things that I wrote for the blog, and it's not a feature match. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is YCS Pittsburgh. I think it was like tw- it's 2017 because this was zoo format. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this event was also the same event that um, I think Chase Furman won his YCS. It was also the same event where um, I had an actual 10 minute turn one. Zodiac combo. And oh it, god! Yeah, and I because I was timing. I'm just like, oh, this player just finished their turn one, and we're ten minutes into the we're ten minutes into the match. So I put that in. I put that in the feature match just because yeah. it, it's factual. You got to put it in. But the YCS first timers article for that event, I was able to find an actual five year old at a, at a Yu Gi Oh event, and I'm like, that's perfect because that is. That is exactly who Konami is gearing this product towards. This is this is this is the target demo right here. This is mm-hmm. absolute like so. Favorite card: Blaze White Dragon. Perfect, excellent. Get that down. Just like you got to be out there. You just just find the story. Like I'm not a journalist, but like I was, I, I was on my high school newspapers staff like i took the journalism class so like i pretended to be a reporter for a couple of years but really but really like what it came down to it like i was not writing um at like my grades like i was mostly stem like i was like here's ap science here's ap math and then my english was just regular english like i was not a writer like i like I just didn't know like what the teacher wanted me to write, but um but I took journalism because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to report things. And what ended up happening was, hey Joe, you take really good pictures. Let's have you just be the photographer. So I'm like, all right, cool. I guess we're doing that. Mm-hmm. And um it wasn't until way later that uh Jason approached me about writing a a uh, column for for TCG player about judging and as it turns out, I was good enough for, to do it for four years, and again, that was surprising to me, but like not not unwelcome. Like that was just like I was able to talk about judging for a long time, and I was able to pass my experience on, and um, hopefully, judges got something good out of that. And mm-hmm. just like this article for the for the YCS first timers, I hope I hope somebody got something good out of. Um, out of the things that I wrote for for the coverage blog, and like that's like what I uh, what I hope people get out of that. 
Well, well, speaking as someone who is a journalist, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have something where we say, you know, don't you don't always have to be like reactive. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's good to be proactive mm-hmm. where instead of just like waiting for the news to happen. Why don't you go go out there and let's let's go. Let's go like find some news that's going to happen. Let, mm-hmm. Let's not let the news come to us. Let's mm-hmm. go to the news itself. Like sometimes when I look up, like making when I make pitches to like wh- whoever my boss would be, I'd be like, okay, I found this. Mm-hmm. So like, well, let's why don't we do a story on this? We call this like we call this a story pitch, by the way. Right. And you know, we tell them, you know, wh- let's go find this. Like, well, there's this development happening right now. Why don't we go do we'll cover this story? Why don't we cover that? And, and you know, that's that's what it is. It's like mm-hmm. we're. And like right now in my current career, when I when I talk to the owner, um, we have a meeting and we go, okay, uh, what have you found that you can that we can do for news for this week? Like, have you have you found a thing up? And then I'm gonna run through him a list of things. Like, okay, well, this is happening on this day. This is happening on this day. You know, it's not a matter of just like just waiting for anything to happen. Let's go like out. Let's go create some news. Or mm-hmm. if there's like something that's coming up, for example, like let's say let's say for example, like you guys do it too. Let's say like a new Yu-Gi-Oh set's coming out. Yeah. Like, let's, let's go and ask people. It's like, what do you think of this new set? What do you yeah. think of this new set? Yeah. What do you, what cards are, are you anticipating yeah. from this set? Which Konami has done before. So it, it's stuff like that. That's like a, a bit of journalism where like, as you mentioned, where like you got to be proactive and got to go out and find stories mm-hmm. that goes back to Jason being able to find wonderful decks. That's you going to find that five-year-old who's mm-hmm. played Yu-Gi-Oh and like you can make a story out of that. Like if you, if you get decide to be, really into like jur- like a journalistic side of it like mm-hmm. that's a story yeah there's a five-year-old playing Yu-Gi-Oh. this game yeah. is kind of the that pack says like ages of eight and up so when you see a five-year-old playing that's mm-hmm. that's that's an oddity that's something yeah. it, that's something inordinate let's mm-hmm. go make a story on this kid just just as an example of being proactive yeah yeah and event coverage has to be a like good event coverage has to be very much a lot of that because in a big event there's not going to be just one type of player. There's not going to be just one type of deck. Like mm-hmm. you have to bring out what is actually like bring out those hidden gems, bring out um, somebody like, um, uh, let me just jump up, jump ahead. So uh, we were in YCS Pittsburgh, 2019. Um, it was, um, there was a YCS New Jersey. I don't know. Remember it was 2019. Um, it was probably before, so we're jumping back and forth, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, at this event, there was one of my local players that was in day one, and he was doing very well with element savers. Now, granted, yeah. that's never been on anybody's radar, at mm-hmm. least not in TCG. And um, we we saw it. I'm just like, wow element savers yeah let's get that and then like um we we featured it and it's just like yeah that's super good like i'm i'm glad we were here for that because you want people to know like hey look here's here's a thing and you can do what you want with it but here's a player that was able to do well with a strategy that he 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 made up he didn't he didn't net it like he just like here are the cards let's put them together here Mm -hmm. you go and we've even seen like uh, those kinds of deck lists that even if they don't uh, like make the top cut or whatnot, like people are still like very interested in it because it's an oddity. It's something different. Mm-hmm. Maybe people want to, maybe when they say that, maybe, okay, I'm going to try my own spin on it. Maybe I can improve upon it. Cause this is like the beta version, quote unquote, when 
when right. when we see it and maybe we can improve on it like and and again like people want to see those kinds of things because we have to remember that even though that YCSs WCQs or whatnot they're you know they're they're expected to be like competitions to see who's the best not everyone at these events is there to be like to like to win some people just go there for fun some mm-hmm. people want to play casually but like yeah. in a competitive setting or some mm-hmm. people just want to say i want to take this deck out and just yeah. see how well it does in these kinds of events so you have to remember that you're not just catering to like the like the top players and this is also a thing for journalism too you're not just catering to the people who already know you have to assume that people there are people who don't know this like the, don't know the obvious mm-hmm. that don't know like this information that you would think is universal like we always say report to the farm report as if you're talking to the farmer out of butt heck nowhere who's been <laughs> living under a rock mm-hmm. and report like that like, yep. for, like if you're on coverage you every, everybody might know what Har- uh, harpoor, orchestra harpoor does, mm-hmm. but you gotta tell what does that yeah. card do for the people who don't know what that yeah. card is. You yeah. have to like reiterate that information mm-hmm. again and again because like there are people who don't know. There, everyone of all skill levels mm-hmm. are there, so you yeah. gotta cater to everyone. That's yeah, there. yeah, that's something like I always try to keep in mind when I do my writing is that it has like the audience is not going to be completely competitive. Like I right. cannot, like I cannot use slang terms like oh he's like there's too many like like this is a hard ones per turn like unless you already know what that means that doesn't mean anything yeah like, there, like there's all like there's a lot of that and um when i'm doing my writing i have to make sure that the accessibility is there so that if you're reading it and you just happen to like if you're like a casual Yu-Gi-Oh player you can understand what it is i'm saying without having the previous knowledge of what uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Like what I what it is I'm talking about. Like it has to be something that you can come away with, and you're not scared off by it. And you have to be like, okay, I now know something, and that's good. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it is like because this these are also uh, a way of like uh, teaching tools to to these players as well. Because you know, mm-hmm. like, like like let's say like for example, right now the current meta is like Dragon Link. That's like one of the best decks right now. Yeah, I actually haven't gone against a Dragon Link deck. I don't mm-hmm. know what that deck is. Supposed like supposedly supposed to end on. I don't know what the mm-hmm. optimum board is. Mm-hmm. So when I'm watching a feature match, so when I'm watching somebody comment, I'm like, okay, like I don't know what's going on. You've got to walk me through here. Mm-hmm. Why is this move the best move? Why is yeah. it? Why is this mm-hmm. the optimum move? What yeah. does this do and whatnot? Mm-hmm. Because like even though I played this game for so many years, mm-hmm. there's always going to be something for me to learn. It's like and then Dragon yeah. Link one thing. It's like I don't know what this does. Like yeah. walk me through this. Don't like let's yeah. not assume here. Yeah. So like commentary like especially during like feature matches of like YCSs and stuff, it's always trick. Like, like I try to like, just, you know, just do it at home just by myself, just you know, muted or whatever. Um, yep. It is tougher than you think, because if the players move quick, like you can't sit and explain like the, the, the stuff like that. Like yep. if, if there's like a, if there's a break in the action, yeah, absolutely. But if the players are moving, you got to move with them. Like there's, yeah, there's no stopping that. that. Like if there was an opportunity to like talk about plays and stuff, like, especially like between games or even between matches, then sure. Absolutely. But like it, especially like during like high level events, like let's say the world championships or whatever. Um, it's, it's tougher to, to make, to make the product approachable like that, just because of how quick things move. Like if, 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 if the match is hang like if the match is like five moves in like 
if the players are five moves ahead of you, you can't talk about why he did this instead of that. Like, mm-hmm. or or if you do, you have to just say, uh, he he went a different line of play and then just keep going. Mm-hmm. Exactly that. Mm-hmm. And that's how it is with, with sports broadcasting too, which is what mm-hmm. I also do as well. I taught my journalism that you mm-hmm. do have to move within the flow of the game, but there are some times where you get like breaks in between where you get to talk. Like, like for example, hockey, it's a fast paced mm-hmm. sport, yeah. uh, but, but you get whistles and yeah. then that's the time where you really start to mm-hmm. analyze it. But mm-hmm. if there's like a, if there's like slow play that's going on in like the hockey in hockey or mm-hmm. even in Yu-Gi-Oh where like a player's thinking, then you've got time to explain it, but you also have to be able to, to time it right where you, can like keep going on about the play when it actually develops again so it is very tricky because i've been on i've been on that side of the ball too like i've been i've commentated for Yu-Gi-Oh events and i've also commentated for a a ton of sports events because that's you know what i do professionally as well so it it can be tricky but one thing i will say to a lot of commentators out there is that like you've got again like it might sound repetitious if you have to say the same move again and again, mm-hmm. but if you're doing like separate duels and different broadcasts, people are tuning mm-hmm. into these mm-hmm. duels. You still have to say the, the, the move over and over again and explain yeah. it whenever you can. Yeah. You got to reiterate that information because maybe some person saw round four, but maybe they didn't see round five. So yeah. You got to explain it to that, to that kind of thing and appeal to that. And that's something I always yeah. kind of tell all these like these amateur or like these first time like broadcasters when they do, it's like, doesn't matter how many times you've had to say it when you welcome in a new audience or anything like that, you've got to explain it once again. It Mm -hmm. happens in journalism all the time. I've said, I don't know how many times I've said the words pandemic and Mm COVID-19. I have to explain it. I have to explain all this stuff until it becomes widely universal. I have to explain everything. Mm -hmm. I have to. That's part of it. Yeah. And Twitch is almost like the same thing now. Now, granted, I don't have a lot a, a huge audience of my own like it's just yeah. like just like effectively my friends and some random stragglers but as i'm playing whatever game it is i'm playing like i'll i'll talk about things i've talked about before or mm-hmm. even things like like the previous week or whatever but mm-hmm. you have to assume that your audience is always new and mm-hmm. like that's just you know that's just how it be it is. And not to mention when you're trying to like grow like your channel or grow your product and whatnot, you, mm-hmm. you want like these new people to kind of stay tuned to it. Yep. And you, when you explain all these things like, Oh, okay. Like they'll, they'll walk me through and they'll help me out. So when I come back to it, like I know that if anything new comes out, they'll explain it again. Even if it's been out for a while, they'll still mm-hmm. explain it. And that, that's what you want. You kind of want like all oh, this is a teaching tool because when you're out there broadcasting, you're telling a story. You're kind of telling them what's going on, what's happening. You got to explain it. You're trying to be informative and tell and tell a story at the same time, which is like which is why like you kind of have to be a little bit repetitious. Yeah, it sucks for the for the people who already know, but you also have to worry about the people who don't know. And I, I can't like mm-hmm. pound that into yep. to everybody who like doesn't know that like enough into everybody's heads. Like you got to explain this to mm-hmm. everybody. Yeah, everybody's watching. Yeah, it's not just the competitive players. Yeah, and just to bring it back to Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, yeah. If you say something misses the timing and you don't know what missing the timing is, you didn't actually yeah. explain anything. Yeah, yep. It's yeah, and, and again, going to philosophy, we call that kind of like a tautology. You're saying it, mm-hmm. or like a, or like a, it's a circled argument. You're just saying yeah. mm-hmm. a equals a. Okay, well, why is a equal a? Well, right, because it's a. Well, like, yeah, well, that yeah. that doesn't help me. No, yeah, clearly. Come on, what's wrong with you? Yeah, exactly. That. <laughs> Oh, it's nice that I can flex like both my both my degrees here on my own podcast. It's kind of fun because that's what yeah. I studied. I studied journalism and philosophy. It's nice that I can flex a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Into it. 
<laughs> Joe, man, I, I'm fantastic having you on. Really got to explore like a, a lot of different topics that I haven't been able to explore on the podcast because mm-hmm. you're you're really a unique individual when it comes to your involvement with the game because of mm-hmm. uh, the high profile judging that you've done and also being like, an event coverage person as well, which which is a fun gig by the way. But it, it's kind mm-hmm. of funny where. You know, as you mentioned, you do 10 minute turns where I did it way back when, where turns would probably take about maybe two minutes, and you can just have to type in maybe about two, three lines of what the move was as opposed yeah. to now. So, oh, mm-hmm. it's a little, a little crazy. But, uh, thank you so much for coming out of my podcast. Uh, any shout outs you want to give? Um, I didn't think about this. Um, I, <laughs> I wish I had prepared. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything at the moment, unfortunately. All right, no worries. But uh, we, but um, where can we find you uh, sh- streaming out your uh, whatever dual links and video games? Whatever. Where can we find you? So on Twitch, I am a crazed gamer, which is C R A Z D G A M E R, and you can also find me on Twitter at the same handle. All right, wonderful. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I and we have had some conversations before uh, mm-hmm. on Twitter, and then I've also enjoyed you know the kind of funny. The funny little mods that you do with the video games, as I mentioned at the the, the start of the podcast, yes. because mm-hmm. as we mentioned, we're mm-hmm. very close in when it comes to the age, so we both uh, mm-hmm. have like similar interests yeah. in terms of like the timelines yeah. of video games that we like. So, yeah. touches my heart. All mm-hmm. right, that is Joe Frank Eno, renowned judge, feature writer, and a great guy all around. Joe, uh-huh. thank you so much for for being on the podcast, and I, I hope to see you soon again whenever things open up because you know you're always one of those people that i always have to say hi and bye to at least whatever i see you in an event oh of course david and thank you for having me absolutely have yourself a wonderful day you too I, I think we're roughly around the same age. I'm, like, I'm what? I'm thirty. I'm thirty three. Mm. Ooh, um, I am or, thirty. I'm thirty eight. I look young oh, for my. Uh, I look, okay. I've always looked young for my age. <laughs> it's a game that I play with people where it's like, I how, how old do you think I am? And they're always shooting younger, and I'm just like, that's right? yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.